0: Hallelujah. Well, you know, it's been a very uh, happy day at Heart of the Bay. This morning, Pastor had that happy, happy, and happy day, and we sang it tonight. And um, I listened to something right before I came tonight as well that made my heart very, very happy. And I'll be sharing a little bit more of it at the end tonight. But today, Well, actually, on Friday, our president declared today a national day of prayer. And if you want to see an inspiring proclamation, you can actually watch it on YouTube. It just made my heart happy because what I sensed as I was watching it, there were several ministers there in the Oval Office praying with him, is unity. And, you know, when people get in unity, things happen. So, you know, we, tonight we are going to spend time praying at the end and I'm going to read you that, but I just wanted to start off by saying God is on the move, on the move, on the move. Hallelujah. Amen. And prayer does change things and prayer does make a difference. Amen. On that note, y'all can take your seats. We're going to lay a foundation before we pray tonight. Uh, Some teaching from the word of God if you weren't here last Sunday night I'd encourage you to listen to that message online or you can actually pick up a CD in the bookstore Because we're just kind of going to keep building the next few weeks. We're teaching a series on Lord teach us to pray John Wesley said this that it seems that God is limited by our prayer life that he can do nothing for humanity unless someone ask him. And when you first hear that, you probably go, mm, I don't know about that, but it is true. God has chosen to work with us and to give us the ability to petition him and to ask him things according to his word. Amen. Amen. So this statement is true. John Wesley said, It seems God is limited by our prayer life that he can do nothing for humanity unless someone asks him. And every time that I read that, it comes up in my heart. Well then, if that's the case, it would behoove all of us to become proficient in our asking yeah. to ask according to his will, his plan and his purpose. Last week, we started off looking in John chapter 15, verse seven, and we're going to read just John fifteen seven tonight in the new King James version, just that passage. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. We spent the entire session last time talking about the importance of abiding in Him. Having a living, vital relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Savior is alive. He's not dead. And our relationship with Him ought to be alive. Amen. And vital and full of And it's from that place, that position of abiding in him that we can operate in the rest of this passage. There's an and there. If you abide in me and what's the rest of it? My words abide in you. Then you're going to ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. So what gives us this guarantee, this boldness, this confidence that our prayers are answered? What is it? When we know that we are praying according to God's will. Well, that's laid out for us in first John chapter five, verse 14 and 15. And I want to read that from the Amplified. This is the confidence. The assurance, the privilege of boldness. You know, it's a privilege to be able to come boldly to the throne room of grace. Hebrews chapter 14, come bold, chapter 4 verse 16, come boldly to the throne of grace and obtain help. Attain mercy in the time of need. So he says here, it's the privilege of boldness which we have in him. We are sure that if we ask anything, make any request according to his will, in agreement with his own plan, he listens to and he hears us. Now verse 15. And since... We positively know that he listens to us in whatever we ask. We also know with settled and absolute knowledge Amen. that we have granted us as our present possessions the request that we made of him. There's some really awesome words in this passage. Confidence. Assurance, privilege of boldness, positively no. isn't it good to be settled, to be, to be assured, have that assurance and to be just so much in the know we're in the know because we know what the word of God says. This doesn't sound like to me that we have to wonder if God hears our prayers. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to waver. When we pray according to His Word, and what is His will, folks? His will is His Word, and He's written it to us. He left us a will full of promises, full of benefits full of blessings. Can anybody think of anything that is written in the will that belongs to us? How about healing with his stripes? We are healed. That's our inheritance. That's a promise. That's something that we can be settled on and have assurance about. How about Philippians four that says, I promise he promised to meet all of our needs according to what? His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. That's in our will. That's in the last testament of the Lord Jesus Christ. Last will and testament. Part of our rights. Part of our privileges. There are millions of Christians that are uncertain of the will. And it leaves them in a place of wavering. And of doubt. So many Christians pray to God and then they attach this last little phrase to it, if it be thy will. How many of you have ever heard this? How many of you maybe grew up in a church where people prayed, Lord, heal them. Heal Brother Tom if it be your will. Otherwise just let him be sick and suffer or how about this one lord bless sister ingrid with a nice paying job if it be thy will (laughs) otherwise let her just be as poor as job's turkey whatever that means (laughs) but people used to say it all the time in the church i grew up in what does job's turkey have to do with us being poor i don't know It was some sort of a religious thing that people picked up. Well, I'm just as poor as Job's turkey. That's not in the Bible. If it be thy will to prosper is not in the Bible. The only time that we ever attach, if it be thy will, to a prayer is when it's a prayer of consecration. When it's not written in the will. If you want me to move to wherever, you know I will. If that is your will, where you're asking for him to give you an assurance. Because you're not sure. But things that are written, we can be sure of. And if we don't know the word, we live in a state of never, never land. How many of you ever watched Peter Pan? The lost boys in never, never land. There's some Christians like that. They're just totally clueless and lost as to their identity in Christ. And to what he has promised. So they're living in never, never land. What will be, will be. Okay, Sarah, so Sarah. So if you take that attitude, guess what? The devil is going to beat your brains out. We got to know who we are. We got to know it is written. The devil will come. He comes at all of us. He came to Jesus. Our Lord Jesus Christ. And when he started laying out these temptations to Jesus, if Jesus would have just kind of went, well, I don't know. Maybe he's right. Maybe, maybe I should think about that. No, he had to immediately say, no, it is written. That's not what the word says. That's not what's written about me. And I'm not going to do what you're telling me to do, devil. We have to know what is written. Do y'all want to have great results in your prayer life? I know you do. Do you want to have a fruitful prayer life like we talked about where it, you're just getting answers and there's abundance and things are abounding? Then that's why we have to find the scriptures that cover our case. Yes. Now, the Bible tells us over in James chapter 4, verse 3, and unfortunately this again is why many people don't see answers to their prayers. This passage says, you ask and you do not receive. That's not God's will. He doesn't want us asking and not receiving. Didn't we just read in 1 John chapter 5 that when we ask according to his will, we can be bold, confident, and have assurance. But he says here, you ask and do not receive. And why is that? Because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. Another translation of that passage, the NIV says this in the NIV. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. That's something to stop and think about. You ask with wrong motives motives. Why? That you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. Selah. Stop and think about it. We're asking God to prosper us and we can see that it's in his will. But what is the heart motive? Do we want to get prosperous so we can buy a a condo in Hawaii? Nothing wrong with that. Or, Or buy a yacht? Nothing wrong with that. But if that's the heart motive, That's asking miss. When we are asking God, according to his word, to meet our needs and to supply abundance in our life, the first heart motive ought to be, so I can be a blessing. So I can give more into the kingdom of God. The heart motive in asking for things which are promised to us is found in Matthew 6, 33. Seek ye first. The kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then what's going to happen? All these things will be added unto you. That's not asking amiss. That's not asking with a wrong motive. And I know I'm preaching to the choir tonight. You all are here on Sunday night in Hayward. And I know you're here because you love Jesus. You want to see prayers answered. You want to see people born again. You want the kingdom of God to be furthered. You want to be a blessing. Am I I in the right place? I thought so. So I know this scripture does not even apply to you. But there are people out there that are asking things outside of the word of God. And then when it doesn't happen, they get mad and they blame God. There's lots of flaky requests going on out there. Some people got into this. Well, you know, you can name it and claim it. Well, we know according to the word of God that we can claim the promises of God and we can claim things. We just explained that. But there are people that they see somebody that gets a new car and they're like, you know what? They don't say I want a car like that. I claim your car. I want you to give me that car. And they go around and they walk around and lay hands on it. I'm claiming your car in the name of Jesus. And they may even start dropping faith hints. You know, I've asked the Lord to move on your heart to give me your car. That is not faith. That is manipulation. Manipulation. (laughs) Manipulation. And that's not scriptural. Or how about this one? A single man walks into a church and he sees this beautiful gal <coughs> on the other side of the church. Oh and he's like, okay, I'm claiming her in the name of Jesus. That's my future wife. I claim her in Jesus name. But the only problem is beautiful lady is already married. <laughs> That's asking a miss. Yeah. Brother Hagin. You know, years ago, we were at, at Ramah that was kind of, they called it Ramah Bridal Training College. Because so many people would come there and meet their mate. Like I met Pastor Mark and lovely little Judy Anderson. Actually, Doug, you got really blessed. He met his lovely wife there as well. So marriages were happen, happening. But there were also some things that were quite flaky that were going on. People would come and talk to Brother Hagin. And they would say... You know, I've claimed this young lady over here. I look at her in class and I've claimed her and he's like, have you talked to her? No. Have you dated her? No. But I've claimed her. And then he would find out that this beautiful lady over here was claiming somebody else in another section over there. He said, you know, you might be claiming her, but she could be claiming Bo Diddley and it all gets mixed up, you know. And then sometimes people are out claiming people. Let me just say this Does God want you to be married? Certainly. If you want to be married, God will bring you a wonderful, godly man or woman. That's scriptural. He said it's not good that man should be alone. So you can claim a godly person, but you can't name a specific person, particularly if they're not interested in you. Hello, common sense. Well, now that that was kind of heavy, let me tell you a funny little story. (laughs) This comes up. So Brother Hagin used to also tell this story, and I don't think it was true, but it's pretty funny. So he said uh, this minister, he went to visit one of his parishioners that had like a breakdown, which isn't good. And they were in this mental institution recovering. And so this minister's walking down the hallway, and he's with the, the guy there that owns the place. And he's taking him to this other room. And they walk past this room, and this guy is just sitting in there, rocking back and forth. And I can only think of it now because I see you, Mary, and I'm sorry, but this little guy's sitting in there rocking, and he's going, Mary, 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 Mary. So the minister says to the owner, What happened to him? Oh, he got jilted at the altar. Mary broke his heart. She walked out of the wedding and married somebody else. So they keep walking down the hallway a little bit further. And they hear, he hears another guy going, Mary, Mary. And he looks in there and this guy's in a padded cell. He's literally beating his head against the wall. And he's screaming, Mary, Mary. So the minister says, what's his story? He said, oh, he married Mary. Mary. married, Mary. (laughs) what that have to do with my message? I don't know, but the point is sometimes we think we want something and then if we get it, we're sorry, we got it. Obviously. So anyhow, our prayers cannot be taking scriptures out of context to fit our fleshly flaky request. Right. They got to line up with the whole council of God. Yeah. A wonderful man of God, E.W. Kenyon, he said this, prayer should be God looking down to earth and seeing a mirror reflecting his word back to him. Isn't that good? I'm going to read that again. Prayer should be God looking down to earth and seeing a mirror reflecting his word back to him. That's how important it is to pray according to the word. John fifteen seven. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. What's the rest of that? Ye shall ask. So we've got that we're abiding in him. Our relationship is good. His word is in us in abundance. Now we're ready to ask. Listen to these definitions of ask from Strong's to request, to bring a petition. The word usually describes a person making a request of someone in a higher position. For example, like a child asking a parent or a person going to God. God wants us to ask him. Do you, if you have more than one child, maybe you discovered this, that some kids are better askers. I just don't know how that is. Some kids are just naturally born aggressive and not afraid to ask for what they want. And they will build a case. They'll do their research and sometimes even quote you scriptures. uh, Why you need to grant their request. We had one like that for sure. And now he has a daughter named Olivia who knows how to ask very well, too. And uh, recently, she, we flew her up here to go to VBS. And on the phone, even before she got here, there's a place down in, at the great mall called Bouncerama. And she loves this place. So before she ever came, we're discussing on the phone what we're going to do after VBS. And, of course, this came up. Grammy, are you going to take me to Bouncerama? And I said, yes, honey, I promise I'll take you to Bouncerama. So as soon as we got here, we got home, we got off of the jet. She did not start begging. She did not start crying. Please, please, Grammy. No, she walked right up to me and she said, so Grammy, when are we going to bounce a (laughs) Because she had faith in my word. And because she had faith in my word, she wasn't afraid to ask. She didn't ask when, I mean, she didn't ask if she just wanted to know the day because Grammy said, and that means it's going to happen. When we go to our father, we ought to have that kind of confidence to just ask because we love him and we know that he loves us and he wants to do good things for us. He wants his kids to be good askers. Askers are receivers and God's not opposed to us asking him based on his word. What does Isaiah chapter 55 verse 11 say? It'll put it up on the screen. Isaiah fifty-five eleven. So shall my words be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. And it shall prosper in the thing which I sent it. As I was reading that the other day, I saw, you know, it says there prosper in the thing. So that means we can send the word to situations That are going on. We can send the word to Texas. We can send the word down to L.A. where those fires are raging. And the word will not return void. But the word will also prosper in people. You can send the word. To people, speak the word over them. Doesn't the Bible tell us in Psalms 107, it says in uh, verse 20, He sent His word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. That's not asking amiss when we're speaking the word over people And over situations. I got this little acrostic for the word ask. And we've already been talking about this. But I want to emphasize it. The word A in ask could stand for assurance. Certainty. Confidence. And guarantee. The word S stands for steadfastness. And look that up. Steadfastness definition is this. Not changing, not being fickled, or wavering. That's good, isn't it? So that's how we're supposed to ask. Not being fickled, not changing, not wavering, steadfast. And then the letter K stands for knowledge. Knowledge, the act of acquiring understanding. So we're tonight acquiring understanding. We're getting knowledge of how to pray effectively. Amen. Amen. And when we pray in line with the word, it will and it does make a difference. James chapter 5 verse 16. Out of the Amplified. Let's just look at the last part of that. All that other is good. If you need to confess your sins, if you need to repent, if you need to forgive somebody, do the first part because that can affect your prayer life as well. But we're centering in right here where it says the earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes what? Tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. The what kind of prayer? The earnest, the heartfelt prayer that is powerful and effective does not come out of our head. We talked about it last week. God's not into us getting into vain repetitions, praying rote prayers out of your head. He wants us to pray out of our heart. Get in touch with what the Spirit of God is prompting you to do and prompting you to pray. Prayer really does not originate here. It originates with him taking what's on his heart and dropping it down into the heart of his people. And he's looking for somebody that will open their mouth and speak those things that he's placed in their heart. The earnest heart Felt continued prayer of what kind of a man? A righteous man. One who knows who they are and where they are seated. Where are we seated, folks? We are seated far above all principalities and powers and the rulers of darkness. We do not pray from a position of defeat. We don't pray from a position of, oh, look what the devil is doing. No, we take our place far above, seated together with him, our Lord Jesus Christ, in heavenly places. And the higher, the higher you will ascend in me, the bigger I get and the smaller the problems and the issues going on on earth. Become. So ascend. Ascend and take your rightful place, your seat of authority. And when we do, tremendous power is available. Dynamic in its working. Dynamic comes from the same root. Word in the Greek that we get dynamite from. What's dynamite do? Dynamite blows things out of the way. It gets rid of gigantic mountains and boulders so they can build a roadway through the Rocky Mountains so people could get to the West Coast. Aren't you glad? Dynamite paves the way. Gets rid of things. And our prayers do the same thing. They blow up the plots, the plans, the hindrances, and the strategies of the enemy. Let me ask you a question as I get ready to read this proclamation. Do our prayers make a difference? Can they turn a disaster around? Is there tremendous power made available? When a nation, when our nation will lay aside all of the differences and lay aside all of the rioting and all of the demonstrations and say, okay, we're going to unite together as a nation and lift our hearts and lift our voice and ask God to intervene. So on Friday... February 1st, President Donald Trump from the Oval Office signed a proclamation making today National Day of Prayer. And as he signed this, before he signed this, there were several ministers there, and they all had something to say. They were praying, and then he said this, President Trump. Hurricane Harvey first made landfall as a Category 4 storm near Rockport, Texas, on the evening of August 25th, 2017. The storm has since devastated communities in both Texas and Louisiana, claiming many lives, inflicting countless injuries, destroying or damaging tens of thousands of homes, and causing billions of dollars in damage. The entire nation agrees with Texas and Louisiana. We are deeply grateful for those performing acts of service. And we pray for healing and comfort for those in need. He goes on to say, Americans have always come to the aid of their fellow countrymen. Friend helping friend, neighbor helping neighbor. Stranger helping stranger. And we vow to do so in response to Hurricane Harvey. From the beginning of our great nation, Americans have joined together in prayer during times of great need to ask for God's blessing and his guidance. This tradition dates back to June 12th, 1775, when the Continental Congress proclaimed a day of prayer following the battles of Lexington and Concord on April 30th, 1789, when President George Washington, during the nation's first presidential inauguration, asked Americans to pray for God's protection and his favor. When we look across Texas and Louisiana, we see the American spirit of service embodied by countless men and women. Brave first responders have rescued those stranded in drowning cars and rising waters. Families have given food and shelter to those in need. Houses of worship have organized efforts to clean up communities and repair damaged homes. Individuals of every background are striving for the same goal, to aid and comfort people facing devastating losses. As Americans, we know that no challenge is too great for us to overcome. As response and recovery efforts continue, And as Americans provide much needed relief to the people of Texas and Louisiana, we are reminded from the scripture's promise, the scripture, the word, God is our refuge and our strength. He is a very present help in trouble. Our president quoted the word. Goes on to say, Melania and I are grateful to everyone devoting time, effort and resources and to the ongoing response of recovery and rebuilding efforts. We invite all Americans to join us as we continue to pray for those who have lost family members and for those who are suffering in this time of crisis. The proclamation. Now, therefore, I, Donald J. Trump, President of the United States, do hereby proclaim September 3rd, 2017, as a national day of prayer for the victims of Hurricane Harvey and for our national response and recovery efforts. We give thanks for the generosity and goodness of all of those who have responded to the needs of their fellow Americans. And I urge all Americans of all faiths and religious traditions and backgrounds to offer prayers today for those harmed by this hurricane. And then he goes on and he says, and to pray for those who have lost their homes, the first responders our law enforcement officers, our military personnel, medical professionals leading the response and the recovery efforts. I call on all Americans, this is still our president, and houses of worship throughout the nation to join in one voice of prayer. As we seek to lift up one another and to assist those suffering from the consequences of this terrible storm. In the witness whereof I have hereunto set my hand this first day of September in the year of our Lord, 2017. Amen. Hallelujah! That blessed me. You know what? If you watch that, you're going to get really blessed. But men and women all across this nation are laying aside their differences. It's not about what color your skin is. If you're my neighbor, I'm going to help you. It's awesome. Brother Keith Moore, this morning in his service, the Lord had him say some things. And he said, we know God did not bring this disaster. He did not cause this hurricane. He's not the author of destruction. But what? the devil meant for harm. God is changing it for good. Hallelujah. And God will receive the glory because millions of people are going to call on the name of the Lord, our God. Pastor Mark this morning, when he was talking about there has been, of course, this awful hurricane and the floods in the natural in Texas and Louisiana. But out of his heart, the spirit of God prompted him to say, there's another flood coming. The king of the flood, our Lord Jesus Christ, is rising on the scene. There shall be a flood of God's goodness of God's mercy, of God's compassion. Hallelujah. And I'm saying this, the unity and the love that has and is abounding in Texas, I believe it's going to sweep across our nation and be a catalyst to revival and a spiritual awakening that we are crying out Four. Can I get a witness? Yes. And I am not lifting up or glorifying a man. We honor our president. We honor the office that he stands in. But this is God moving on his heart. We, do we pray? Do we pray for those in positions of authority? So no matter what your opinions are, we need to rejoice that we have a president that will make a proclamation that we as Americans... Need to pray yeah. and to look to God as our refuge. Yeah. A very present help yeah. in time of trouble. Amen. Yeah. So let's all stand. Glory be to God. Hallelujah.